This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, today at netsuite.com. It's Monday, December 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio, tanned, rested, <laughs> and ready, because he was in the Bahamas over Thanksgiving. It's Dan Klein. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. So, we have new data of interest to the casino industry. We have a new entry in the chicken sandwich wars. And yes, we are kicking off our annual drive to expand the universe of holiday music. But it's Cyber Monday, so that means we're going to talk about Black Friday. Uh, shoppers spent nearly $7.5 billion online on Black Friday. It's the second largest day ever for online shopping in the U.S. Cyber Monday in 2018 was the biggest. We'll see. Uh, let's just assume that today may top that. But um, considering that there was concern going into this holiday season for retailers because of the way the calendar falls, it's a compressed shopping season. Things seem to be off to a good start, at least if you're a retailer with a robust online system. So, what we don't know is what the brick and mortar sales are. Uh, and that's really going to tell the tale because you're still looking at, I'll guess, 75% of overall sales. Uh, you know, it, it was less than that last year, but the numbers are definitely moving in favor of digital. But you're also seeing that Black Friday is still really important. But it's less important. It's moved into so it used to be you had Thanksgiving. Some stores opened on Thanksgiving. That took away a little bit of the like crush of lines and the doorbusters and all the excitement. And now you have the weird, it's October 28th and we're announcing some doorbuster sales and some online sales. And everyone went really early this year. And so far, it doesn't seem to have dimmed the enthusiasm. It does seem to have extended the season. So, for the time that we've been doing this podcast, uh, dating back and starting in January, it'll, we'll be starting up our ninth year. In the time that we've been doing it, when it comes to this time of the year for retailers, we've seen the evolution of some retailers opening up their stores early um, to the point where we're at today, which is Almost like retailers that are doing this well are victims of their own success because shipping is so much faster. So many more people are Amazon Prime members or you know whatever is the equivalent for Walmart, Target, and so therefore the big push for the Black Friday sale is followed up. 24, 36 hours later by an email saying, at least I'm just basing this on my email box. Oh, you missed the sale that we had 24, 36 hours ago? We've got even deeper discounts now. So, it's become very confusing for consumers. And the one thing I'll say is you have to track it because there are different deals. So, you have to decide do I want this specific robot vacuum or do I want a robot vacuum? You have to know what the prices are and go into the season and accept that if you get a good deal, Except for the exact item you bought, where maybe if the price goes down, you can get the difference. Stop looking at other deals. So if you've decided my big gift for the family is a 70-inch TV, and you went, you woke up on Friday morning and you went to Target at 3 a.m. and you got in line and you got the $349 70-inch TV. I'm making that up, but there were TVs in that price range. Don't look. If all you cared about was the screen size, you didn't care about the brand, you didn't care about anything else, 
just stop shopping. Just be done with it. Because it's no longer possible to say the best deal on this is going to be when. The best deal on certain things might have been October 29th, but there are still good deals to be had. And obviously, Cyber Monday, some of it is repetitive. If you look at Amazon, they're doing similar sales across all of their devices. So you really have from now until more or less Christmas to get a bunch of Echo Dots at a pretty good price. Is tomorrow is today's price going to be marginally better? It could be, but probably not. And it becomes sort of like and you mentioned I was in the Bahamas, I was on a cruise. When you're going on a cruise, they send you every day like a you're not going to believe this deal and all the drink packages and it's always this <laughs> it's always the same price. It's always the same exact You don't even need the email. You can just go to their website and get it. So it just becomes noise and I do think we could be in a situation where, in years to follow, it becomes so much noise that it doesn't move the needle. But this year, it did. Two quick things before we move on to our next topic. One, has anything surprised you so far? Um, nothing has really surprised me from an overarching sense. The, the big players seem like they are off to a good start. The retailers that we've talked about on this show and on Motley Full Money that have struggled going into the holiday season, we're not seeing any data that indicates that there's been some magic turnaround for Macy's or Kohl's. The only thing to this point that has surprised me is the degree to which devices are being pushed. And I and you you already name checked that you know Amazon Echo. I mean that's that's one that, um, and maybe I shouldn't be surprised by that. But the degree to which the tech companies are really cutting prices to get these devices in our homes. Um, it's it's a little bit more than I was expecting. And I think we're like past the point where TV prices have just gotten phenomenal, and computer prices. I mean, you could get a very good laptop for under three hundred dollars. Um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't buy a MacBook or something. That, but if you're a casual computer user, that stuff is there. No, what surprises me is the media and how often it's reported that. Online sales are bigger than brick and mortar sales, which is just not true. So it's one of those things where we're seeing a shift in how people shop. There is definitely a lot more, let's call it mixed sales. That might be I buy it online, pick it up in store. I might go into the store to look at it, but then order it. Maybe I'm buying my kid a bike and I don't want to stuff it in the back of my Nissan Versa and I want it delivered. There's just much more of a fluid model. There's also, and I don't want to say I'm surprised, but there's a pretty heavy level. Level of consumer trust in delivery for companies outside of Amazon. And personally, I don't find that trust a great idea. My Walmart, Best Buy, Target delivery experiences during the year have not been super great. That doesn't make me super confident that during the Christmas rush, they're really going to get it together. A month or two ago, we had the sort of these two divergent. Um, crystal ball predictions of what this retail season was going to be like. On the one hand, you had the National Retail Federation saying, we think it's going to be in the neighborhood of 4% growth over the last year. Yeah, and they reaffirmed that yesterday. And then we had you know, some pretty respected economists uh, pumping the brakes and saying, I think it's going to be more like 2018, like a 2% growth kind of thing. Um, if you had to bet right now, which way are you betting? I'm going to say 4%, because I would say the vast majority of Americans are confident enough to make bad decisions. So I'm not talking about the people like you and I who have budgeted out a holiday and you know we're not going to go into the red to buy our kids things they don't really need. I'm talking about the people who tend to overextend themselves and spend a little bit too much. I think that 
group that group is confident that they're going to make more money, that they have the ability, and they're right about that at the moment. So unless the economy takes a pretty big veer, people should be able to catch up in the next three months or so. Gambling revenue in Macau fell nearly ten percent in the month of November, and coming into the trading day, if you were a shareholder of Wynn Resorts or Las Vegas Sands or Melco. Uh, you were probably, you know, taking an extra gulp of coffee and bracing yourself for a bad day. Right now, these stocks are basically flat. It, it is was was that priced in? Because because there was a time where that type of data would come out, and we would see those stocks going on sale to the tune of five eight percent. It's happened before. And I think there is a numbness to it and sort of an, an understanding that the trade impasse between the US and China is hampering the growth of the Chinese middle class, which is part of sort of an issue of who's going to go to these casinos. And it's kind of bumping up against this, this overall global wait a minute, did we build too many casinos? <laughs> uh, so, I think actually there maybe should be a little more panic than there actually is. It's one of those things where if you hear the same bad news over and over again, you know, if your doctor keeps telling you you have cancer, doesn't really hurt as much as the first time. So in this case, oh, that's a dark example. <laughs> okay, that is <laughs> that is a terrible example as well. But but in this case, I don't think we're going to see a quick fix for this market because it really is based on the entire Chinese economy, which has bigger troubles than just the sort of issues with the U.S. right now. Yeah, I do think that the, you know, look, we are bottoms up investors. We focus on businesses and companies. But with this industry, I do think it's a worth reminding ourselves that the macroeconomic trend that you just pointed out is really important, not for every casino operator, but for the ones that have a presence in Macau and that have baked growth projections into the future based on Chinese people who like to visit casinos in Macau and spend money more and more, month after month, it's probably worth pumping the brakes on that. I'm nervous about the casino industry, and you know I'm a gambler. I'm a regular. I'm flying to a casino in North Carolina next week just to check it out. So I am completely down with the industry, but I do think the oversaturation, and especially in the U.S., the increasing legality of sports betting takes away a reason to go to places where that was previously exclusive. So you have an industry that has a finite amount of customers, even in a very healthy economy, even if these Chinese casinos are doing well, there's still sort of a, a limit to how many there can be. And until some shakeout, which we've seen in Atlantic City, where you know five or six casinos are gone, that actually improves the market for the ones that survive to a point. Because when there's only one or two left, the city doesn't become a draw anymore. But if you look at Vegas, there was a point where they were building too much, and we had some contraction, and now we have some growth again, and maybe we'll see that elsewhere in the world, where like Connecticut and Massachusetts have too many casinos, and you'll probably see some of them not make it. Where in North Carolina are you going? Do a little boots on the ground research. Uh, I am going to. To be fair, maybe it's maybe it's South Carolina. It's uh, <sighs> the Harris Council Bluff. I'm, so Matt Frankel, another regular on the podcast. We are both Caesars Rewards members, <sighs> and Matt realized he was X amount of points away from the next tier. So he looked and said, you know, it's only like a fifty dollar flight. Like, why don't we? So, random work day, gonna spend it on the ground in the casino. Nice. Please report back. It'll be, uh, as far as the IRS is concerned, a business trip. 
Quick shout out to NetSuite. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business, and the problem that growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is the patchwork quilt of business systems. One for sales, one for inventory, another one for accounting. It's inefficient. It takes too much time, too many resources, and that hurts the bottom line. And that's where NetSuite by Oracle comes in. It's the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. NetSuite gives you the visibility and control that you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, unneeded headaches, etc., by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desktop or phone. And that is why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. Right now, NetSuite's offering you valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. You can find it at netsuite.com slash fool. That's netsuite.com slash fool. Download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. One more time, netsuite.com slash fool. McDonald's is testing a crispy chicken sandwich in two markets. I'm sorry to report that neither of those markets is close to me. Uh, Houston, Texas, and Knoxville, Tennessee. Today through the end of January, McDonald's is testing this out. I think if you're a McDonald's shareholder, you got to be popping the champagne because this is, I mean, this is the story of Mc. Well, arguably the story for McDonald's in 2019 is the sudden departure of the CEO. But right after that. It's earlier this year where the independent board of franchisees send the letter to management saying priority number one is a southern style crispy chicken sandwich so we can compete with Chick fil A and now Popeyes. And well done, franchisees, because they appear to be getting their wish. Well done if it's well done. Because Chick-fil-A sets a pretty high bar. I have not tried the Popeye's chicken sandwich because I'm not going to wait in line for a chicken sandwich any any more than the normal amount of time you wait in line for a chicken sandwich. But McDonald's has to get this right. And the reality is they've struck out with premium chicken sandwiches. They also have not done a particularly good job in the past. I don't know, decades since I was a kid with event launches. You remember when it used to be like it's the Olympics and like McDonald's would have they were the sort of original pioneer in that seasonal exciting special offering and it really petered out. I mean, they did that whole international menu earlier this year and if if you weren't driving by a McDonald's, you didn't have a really good sense of what was going on. So, I do think this is good, but the sandwich better be good, and that's not always easy to pull off. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember who it was, but uh, someone maybe it was Burger King. Someone in the last year or two uh, rolled out uh, a new product that had been field tested and um, it hadn't really worked. I think a great example would be queso at Chipotle. Oh, there you go. Where, where they did a lot of ground oh, that's, testing. Yeah, that's what it was. It was because now it works, but the first time they were like, hey, we tested it in these markets and we're ready for the rollout, and nationally it was a well, bust. They, in my opinion, they asked some of the wrong questions because people liked the taste. But there was an expectation for appearance with queso that it it still doesn't deliver on, so they were kind of missing the mark. And I I don't think McDonald's will do that, but tastes are subjective. Do you really believe the Popeyes chicken sandwich is better than like a chicken sandwich at a nice restaurant that does chicken sandwiches? Probably not. But people have gone mad for it, so it becomes a viral thing and more a status symbol than necessarily you know the quality of the chicken sandwich. I absolutely agree with you that they need to get this right. But I also think that they don't need for this sandwich 
to be the best. They don't need it to be better than Chick-fil-A's. They just need it to be good enough so that, particularly on Sundays, when every Chick-fil-A is closed, <laughs> people say, all right, I'll go to McDonald's for that. I feel like if you're McDonald's, you should really just Google how do I make a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich <laughs> because you can do that. Like you could find all the fast food and different ways to make it at home, and that really should be your flavor profile and what you're going for. I'm not saying copy it 100% exactly, maybe 98% exactly, but there's clearly a standard for this, and Chick-fil-A has created a reputation that it's a premium product, which people will pay a premium price for. McDonald's has struggled with premium price, so they may have to deliver a premium product at a mm, pretty good, but not premium price. So It's a bit of a tightrope, but yeah, if they can make this work, I think it'll be a driving hit for them. Before we wrap up, um, it's been a tradition on this show, starting back in 2015, um, started by our producer extraordinaire, Dan Boyd, that um, the holiday music that appears on the radios increasingly earlier in the year, we don't begrudge the radio stations <laughs> for doing that because that makes them money. That's like, you know, one, uh, was it early? I think it was early November and a station here in DC had flipped to the holiday format. And one of my kids is like, why do they do that? And I said, because uh, it makes money. That's quite simply why they do it. Don't begrudge them doing that. What we begrudge them is the fact that it's the same 50 songs, and there's so much great holiday music out there. So, we took it upon ourselves on this humble little podcast to replace our standard closing music with a different song for the month of December, each day a different song, to, uh, you know, to sort of Broaden the horizons of us and the dozens of listeners, because again, there's so much great holiday music out there. So many artists that you wouldn't necessarily hear on the radio. So it's a little, it's a little public service campaign, and it starts today. Are you looking for a Christmas song recommendation from the Jewish guy sitting across the table from you? What? We, do, do we want to go with Christmas and Hollis? Can we? Long, can we break out a little Run DMC? No, you know what? Christmas. That that's one of the that's one of the fifty that gets played on the radio. Oh, Although I will say that's actually a good song. It is a good song, but you know, I suggested before maybe something from the new uh, Letters to Cleo EP, which is a, a Christmas album. We'll check a, that a out. A Boston band we're both uh, fans of. But we uh, but we also um, you know mix it up when it's Hanukkah. We play some Hanukkah tunes. So, um, so we'll see. That's going to be happening all month long. But unfortunately, Dan Klein is not going to be here all month. Uh, next week, you can find him somewhere in the Carolinas doing a little boots on the ground research in a casino. Thanks for being here. It's always good talking to you. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fooler. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.
pray.